And remember these things. Teach them to your children lest they forget. Especially the day you stood before the Lord, your God. We are to pass down from generation to generation the experiences we have in God. I can't tell you the number of pastors that I talk to behind the, behind the pulpit, behind the church doors, in their offices, in their homes, meeting with them, talking with them, and they will tell me the incredible encounters that they've had with God, but they don't dare tell their people. Because I could lose my job. If I told my people what, I, what happened to me, they would kick me out of this church. And I asked them, well, what does the Scripture say? Teach them to your children, lest you forget. Especially the day you stood before the Lord your God. Teach the wondrous works of God, the signs, the wonders, the miracles, the things that He has shown you, teach them. And so I told the Lord that I would do that from now on. I would start talking and teaching about the things that He has shown me and given me permission to talk about. And part of this is the, the issue of how does heaven and earth interact? How do you get angels to work on your behalf? I mean, wouldn't you like to have angels working for you? Like help? <laughs> I would, that's for sure. Let me put up both hands. I would, that's for sure. Well, a lot of people have asked me, why would God give dreams and visions and translations and transportations? Why would God take people to the throne room? And why, why does He do all this stuff? There is a logical reason. And this logical reason is so easy to understand, but it's, it's really a grander logic than our logic, and therefore to our logic seems illogical. A grand logic seems illogical to a lesser logic. Does that make sense? We can say it kind of like this. When I, was, uh, when I first started going into New Age environments and, and uh, going into places where witches are and so on and, and letting the light of God shine, which we'll talk about momentarily, um, I went to this one particular New Age uh, fair. And we had a booth there and across from us was the Kabbalah and next door to us was was uh, some tarot card readers and next door on the other side was a palm reader and so on. And you may be thinking, why would you go there? I, I go there because I enlighten them. You know, I, I, and we'll get this in a moment, but if I bear God's light and I walk in the darkness, voila, light. See, I don't walk in the darkness and get in darkened. I walk into darkness and it gets enlightened because I serve the light of the world. Period. Well, so I'm there and I'm enlightening the darkness, invading the darkness, you might say. After it's over with, we have an incredible time. People are crying and the Kabbalah starts sending their people over to us to get dreams interpreted because we're so accurate and you know, those wonderful things like that. And so I'm meeting with the, with the head of the of the, the program there, the, the, the meetings that weekend, or this, this gathering, and I said, so can we come back next year? 
She says, well, she says, I don't, I don't know how to tell you this. She said, we, everybody, everybody really thought you were, you were nice, and they thought you had a very unusual aura. I said, yeah, I do. <laughs> and so, so I'm, I'm saying, okay. And she says, but, but we do have a problem. She said, I don't know how to say this, but I, I'm just going to ask you. Are you a spiritual vampire? I go, am I a spiritual vampire? I go, why do you ask that? She said, well... She said, you know, you're a nice guy, but um, we got some complaints that every time you came near to any booth, they lost the ability to read people. And so they're thinking that, that when you got near them, you sucked everything out of the air. Uh, and I said, I said, no, 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 no. Here's what, here, here, I'm not a spiritual vampire. It's just simply this. When a greater power meets a lesser power, the lesser power loses. And that's all that happened. Greater met lesser. And she goes, yeah, that's what I told him. I said, I said, are you kidding me? This guy is so nice. He is so kind. I said, he's full of love. There's no way he's a vampire. We've seen spiritual vampires before. This guy's nice. He's got light, an unusual aura. He cannot be a spiritual vampire. It's a greater power meets a lesser power. She says, you can come back. So, we have to understand that he who dwells in us is greater than who dwells in them. Now, that means also this. We cannot be naive about where we are in God and become sons of Sceva in our naivety. We have to understand we have been, um, how do I say this, deprogrammed from spiritual life in a way by the church. I'm not talk, I'm, I'm, there are exceptions to this. I know there are spiritual churches. Please don't get me wrong. But I'm talking about as a whole. You talk about Methodist, Baptist, Presbyterian, Lutheran, um, you know, the whole gamut, Episcopalian, you know, the whole gamut. And so I, I, I'm not saying there aren't spiritual churches, but overall we have been deprogrammed by, from our spiritual life. Like, so we have a spiritual understanding, but we get deprogrammed to believe that what we used to believe isn't right. So we, we can't really believe that he who dwells in us is greater than he who dwells in them. So we're taught, don't get near darkness because you might get slimed. Yes. And so we, in, just like that, without even knowing the repercussions of what we've been taught, we now become fearful of darkness instead of think, knowing who we have in us. Now, at the same time, we enter into this there's no full-born, full-blown adult births. Adults don't give birth to adults, and you women are glad for that, I'm sure. We, we give birth to babies who mature, and it's the same way in the, in the spirit. We are born immature, but we grow to mature. And that's called going from milk to meat. We mature. We're able to handle things. You don't want to go in as an infant into darkness. Because you're not ready to fight a war. You don't want to go into a battle as a two-year-old and try to fight 
a 60-year-old or a 50-year-old or a 30-year-old. See, there's wisdom in all this. You, you want to fight what you're prepared to fight. So I'm not encouraging every one of you to leave what you're doing and go into darkness. I am encouraging every one of you to learn and become mature. And as you mature, then I'm encouraging you to find a way to take action and, and let God prove himself. One of the greatest things that God ever had me do was go into darkness. And here's why. In the church, I had my faith broken. I had my faith broken. I don't mean I lost faith. My faith broke. Or that I was, I became milk toast. I could hold nothing. And I, was, I became afraid to do anything because everything I did, somebody thought was wrong. But when I started witnessing to witches and people in the New Age and spiritualists and mediums and clairvoyants and etc., 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 and I saw their response to God in me, I became quickened that He is real again. I cannot tell you the difference that made in my life. I cannot express to you. I am incapable of putting into words what that did for me. But it made God real. The God that I, I thought I knew, I suddenly really knew. And in a way... It was just like, just like Moses. Moses, Exodus 33. God talks to him and says to him, Moses, you found favor with me. And Moses says, well, if I found favor with you, then I want three things. And here's the first thing I want. One, well, I'm going to skip that one. I'll go to two. Two, I'll come back to one in a minute. Because that's really my point. The second thing he says is, he says, I want you to go with us. Because if you don't go with us, how will we be distinguished from all the other people on the face of the earth? You go with us, everybody's going to know we are yours, you are ours, we follow you, and you don't let them win. Everybody knows who you are if, you, if you're with us. If you're not going to go with us, then forget it, I ain't going. Second thing, third thing he says is this, then show me your glory. But the first thing he says is this, and this stunned me. When the Holy Spirit began to, to work this into my life. First thing he says is this. He says, teach me your way that I might know you. Now, that, at, at first glance that may go, oh, what's, a, what's the big deal about that? No, no, no. Listen, you have to understand the context. This is the Moses who had the burning bush experience. This is the Moses who threw down his rod, or Aaron's rod, and it became a snake and ate the snake of Janus and Jambres. This is the Moses who had held out the rod over the Red Sea and it parted and they walked across on dry, not wet land. This is the Moses who struck the rock and water gushed out of it. This is the Moses who prayed and God sent, sent manna to them. This is the Moses who prayed and God sent quail to them. This is the Moses who did incredible, miraculous acts. And here he comes at a time where God says, You found favor in my sight. I know you by name. And Moses says, I don't have a clue who you are. 
I don't know you. So please, God, teach me your ways so that I might know you. And this word know is the intimate level of God. This, it's the reproductive. Abraham knew Sarah and she conceived. Adam knew Eve and she conceived. It is that which sperma enters us of God. And we become a fruitful being. And in that, we know Him. And we trust Him. We know that when we do this, He will be there. When we say this, He will back us up. I want to know you. So teach me your ways. Because I don't know your ways right now. And in a way, it's very similar to what Jesus said. Many will come to me in the last days. And they will say to me, Didn't we heal in your name? Didn't we cast out demons in your name? Didn't we, didn't we prophesy in your name? And he will say, depart from me, you workers of lawlessness or iniquity, for I never knew you. I was never intimate with you. I never deposited myself in you. That's the difference between this tree and that tree. That's the difference between the tree of the knowledge of good and evil and the tree of of the Spirit. The tree of the Spirit is knowing spirit to spirit. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil is knowing soul to spirit. Huge difference. So what we want to do is we want to know God. And I found in my life that I, being raised in church, giving my life to the Lord at five years of age, I didn't know Him. I came to a point in my life in my 40s and 50s, where I thought, you know what? I am clueless to how God works. I thought I knew, and I'm clueless. And then God began to teach me His ways. And that's what I want to talk to you, continue talking to you about this morning, is those incredible ways of God. See, Jesus tells us many things that, that we overlook. He shares many things. Moses says, show me your ways. The ways of the Lord are evident all, all around us all the time. Jesus says something in Matthew chapter 6. Your kingdom come, your will be done. On earth as it is in heaven. In me, I'm made of this earth. I'm made of the dust of the earth. In me as it is in heaven. This kingdom, Jesus said, is, is within you. It has to begin within you before it ever touches anybody outside of you, exterior to you. It has to begin within you. The issue that Paul talks about in Colossians 1.15, where that Jesus created all things, visible, invisible, above the earth, on the earth, beneath the earth, all things. Nothing exists that wasn't created by Him. That means that you were created for a purpose. You're here not by accident, even though your parents may have said you were. You were not an oops. Whoops. You were, if you weren't oops, it was only human oops, not divine oops. He also, Paul tell, also tells us this, that, that through the Lord Jesus, we have the opportunity to set our mind on things above, not on things of this earth. Let me give you an illustration of that. We're, we, need, we want to sell our house in New Hampshire. We love it there. But God's calling us to move to Texas, back where I was born and my wife was born there. And move back to Texas because there are certain things that we can do there in the next phase of our life we cannot do where we live right now. Now, right now is not particularly a great time to sell a house. Especially in the Northeast. 
Now I can say, well, God, it's not really a good time. I think I should stay here a little bit longer. And, you know, that would be human thinking. Heavenly thinking, sitting your thoughts on things above, not on things of this earth, would be like this. God created everything my house is made of. Everything. Even the metal, because he created the dirt that was melted, that became iron, that became steel, that became my cooktop. He created that stuff. He created the tubifores. He created the sheetrock, the gypsum foam, which it was taken out of the earth, became the sheetrock in my house. He created that. He created the rafters and the floor joists. He created everything that's in my house. He created in its original form. All he has to do now is, and he created the people who are going to buy my house. All he has to do is bring two parts of his creation together. It's not a big deal. This is not a hard thing for God. God's not going, going, boy, how do I do this? The economy is so bad. <laughs> this is not a hard thing for God. And if you set your mind on things above, you will always have hope because you know the Creator is not stumped. But if you look at things on this earth, you will go, boy, this is, He just can't do this. I mean, even God can't do this one. And you will live a defeated life. You won't, because you don't understand the ways of God, the Creator. Nothing is hard for Him. Creator joins creation to creation to accomplish His purpose. And He placed you on this earth for this point in time to accomplish that purpose. And He's given us a plethora of spiritual things to help us to do that. Huge things. God wants us to understand this, this way of God, how heaven and earth interacts. So I've kind of boiled it down to three basic keys that you need to understand, to understand how this works. Okay, first key. Yep. First key then. Next slide. First key is the eternal nature of God. The second key is the coexisting spiritual realm. And the third key is what I call above-the-line thinking. Above-the-line thinking. So let's take a look at the first key. The first of those three keys. So will be the next, next slide. Key number one. We have to understand the eternal nature of God. Now, how do we do that? In Exodus chapter 3, God begins to reveal himself to Moses. Now, keep in mind, I'm going to throw this little thing in here. Keep in mind that Moses is near 80. He's not like a young chick here. He's not like just hatched from the egg. He is, he's not like just born. He's a pretty, pretty senior fellow right now. Life expectancy in those days was about 43 years. So now he's near 80. And he's not particularly thinking that... Wow, my life is still ahead of me. He's probably thinking, I'm an old man watching my sheep. I stutter. Even my sheep baa with a stutter. 
I wonder what happened to that promise of God that I would lead His children out of the darkness, out of Egypt, into the promised land. I, I must have blown it. Leaning on a staff, he's looking around, and he sees a bush on fire. And it's not being consumed. And out of that bush, he hears this voice telling him that he, who he is, and that you're going to lead my children. My promise is not void to you. It really is going to happen. Here's the deal. It's called, I call it the prophetic paradox. What is that? You will always have the opposite of the prophecy happen before the prophecy happens. Mark it down. And the greater the prophecy, the more the opposite will happen. Moses, who was to lead his children out of exile, was exiled from those children. Joseph, who was to have his brothers bow down to him, serve him, was exiled, was sold into slavery by those brothers. Timothy, who had hands laid on him and the spirit of prophecy imparted to him, was sitting in his church in Ephesus that some say may have been as much as 80,000 people. And he was going, what happened? Nothing Paul said has come true. And Paul had to write him two letters called First and Second Timothy. And three times in those two letters, Paul says, get a grip. Well, not exactly, but it says it kind of like this. Stir up that gift that's within you, that was given to you by the laying on of my hands and by the elders. Stir this thing up. Make it, make it so clear that everybody knows how you succeed in that prophetic gift. Timothy was distraught and Paul was encouraging him. The opposite will happen before the real thing happens unless you give up in the middle of the first paradox. And if you give up, it won't happen. Because everything happens by faith. You're saved by faith, filled by faith. You prophesy by faith. Heal by faith, delivered by faith. Everything happens by faith, including your prophetic word. So the paradox, Moses was experiencing that. And here's God say, I am that I am. Now, this I am that I am means this. In the Hebrew understanding, it literally means I have always been, I am right now, I will always be. I have always been, I am right now, I will always be. We're going to find out that means a little bit more than that too. You see, God is eternal. He is the only eternal one. I like to reserve that word eternal for Him. Because in literally meaning, eternal literally means always existing. You have not been given eternal life. Because you haven't always existed. You have been given everlasting life and that's important John 3.16 that all who believed in him would have everlasting life and that literally means everlasting it doesn't mean eternal when you take a look at it it means brought into being and will never stop being 
that's everlasting. God is eternal. Okay. In this we find that there are four eternal or foundational attributes of God in, this, in His eternal nature. One of those attributes is called immutability. He is immutable, meaning God does not change. Malachi 3, 6, For I am God, I change not. Okay? I am God, I change not. So that means that He has never, never, nothing has ever changed in Him. And that's important to remember because the next attribute we find is omniscience. Omniscience. God is omniscient. That means all-knowing. That means he has never learned anything. He's not up in heaven going, John Paul, wow, I never knew that about you. <laughs> he has never learned anything. Why? Because if he learned anything, he would not be all-knowing. Now, also, if he learned anything, he would not be immutable because he just changed. Because when you learn, you change. So there's nothing that ever surprises God. There's nothing that he does not know. Okay, so that's omniscience. The third attribute, or sec, yeah, third attribute is omnipresence. Omnipresence, meaning his, there's never any place that God isn't. For example, let me ask you a question. When you really break down the Mount of Transfiguration, when you really break it down, how did God get Elijah there? Okay, so let me say it another way. God's in heaven, said, okay, Elijah, come up here. Now, I want you to go to the future. I'm not there yet, but I want you to go to the future. That means... There's some place God hasn't been to the future. So when he gets to the future, he would go, wow, I've never been here before. Now, God just changed and he's no longer omnipresent. We have this thought that God's kind of walking along with us. Like John Paul, he walked along with my grandpa, R.L. Jackson, you're doing really good. And R.L. Jackson died. Then my father, Robert Jackson. Robert Jackson, you're doing really good. My father's still alive, and when he dies, then he'll walk with John Paul. John Paul, this is really good. Isn't this wonderful? Wow, I've not seen this. What a wonderful winter we're having. I've never, never seen it like this. And we kind of think that God is progressively eternal. Meaning, as we kind of go through time, he's going through time. But here's the problem. When you get someplace you haven't been, not only do you lose your omnipresence, you now lose the immutability. So now I'm someplace I haven't been. That means I change because I'm now where I've not been. Does that, does that make sense to you? Anytime you walk into some place, you now are changed by that someplace. I've not been in this building. Now because I've been in this building, I know something I never knew. I know what the building looks like. Number two, I've now someplace I've never been. So those two things have changed in me, and now I change because of that. Okay? Number three. Omnipotent. God doesn't, like... Gain power. God is not in heaven going, Oh man, this feels so good. I've never been like this before. 
I've never felt so powerful. No. God has never been more powerful, has never been less powerful. He's not, he's not like God in the New Testament who ran out of transporter juice. You know, I did it in the Old Testament, and I ran out. When I took Elijah to the Mount of Transfiguration, I lost it. I ran out right there. I don't know how to get it back. This is not our God. Our God can do anything He has ever done, still does everything He has ever done. We don't believe that He cannot do anything. He's not a God who used to be the God who heals. He still is. He's not the God who used to do signs and wonders. He's the God who still is. Otherwise, He changed. So, now, those four attributes comprise what we call deity, God. So if any of those things have changed, then he is no longer deity. He is just slightly ahead of you and me. And there's a theology that's becoming very popular today called open theology, which basically says God has progressive knowledge that he learns, and he doesn't know all things, just many things. And why do we have that type of thing happening? Because we don't know him. We, know, we may know about him, but we don't know him. And we may know portions of him, but we don't know all of him. We don't know him. So in this whole process, it's very important for you to understand that. Because now it comes back to, I am who I am. It means I am present outside of time. Here's a very important verse for you to remember. It's Matthew 22:32. Matthew 22:32. In this passage, there is a divine paradox, or some might call it an oxymoron, meaning two things cannot be possible at the same time. And here is this, here's what it says. I am the God of Abraham and the God of Jacob, the God of Isaac. I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. All right? I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Here's the con contradictory part. I am the God of the living, not the dead. Now, last time I checked, even when Jesus walked the earth, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob were dead. So now he says, I'm the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but I'm the God of the living and not the dead. So now... Many people have said, well, these, these are contradictory and proves the Bible is inerrant, is not inerrant. No, 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 no. They don't understand. Here's what it means. Because I exist out of time. God exists outside of time. Keep in mind, he created time. God didn't like come into being, one. And if he did come into being, he didn't come into being and find, whoa, there's time. That would make time greater than God. Time is created. Okay? Now, time being created, God exists outside of time, exterior to time. God, his, by His Spirit, enters into time. His Son came in the flesh and manifested in time. But He's exterior to time. Now, here's what He's saying. Right now, I am present with Abraham. Right now, I am present with Isaac. Right now, I am present with Jacob. And you know what? Right now, I am present with you. But here's where it really gets tricky. 
Because if he's never been any place he hasn't been, which would make him not omnipresent, that means he is also present with my great-great-grandchildren while he's present with me, while he's present with Abraham, while he's present with Isaac, uh, with Adam. He's right now present with Adam and Adam, as many generations to come as is before his return. He is present with them. Very important for you to understand this. Because out of all the generations, he chose you to be here right now. Why? Why? Simon but him go, Oi, say, what have I done? That's my Jewish culture coming out. He is perfectly aware of why he put you here. Problem is, you're not. And the problem is, Satan tries to convince you that you shouldn't be here. Oh, oh God doesn't know everything because he, if he knew you, you don't deserve to be here. You can't do that. It's impossible for you to do that. What are you thinking of thinking you can be spiritual? What are you thinking of thinking you can know God? What are you thinking of? Are you nuts? You can't do that. God's going, yes, you can. Yes, you can. He wants to know us. So he put us here. Maybe the way to explain this is, is by an encounter that a friend of mine, Bob Jones, had. Not the Bob Jones University, who I'm sure would not want to know me. But, <laughs> but and the other Bob Jones, born in the hills of Arkansas. And Bob is this prophetic guy. And he, he, he had an experience where he was taken up to, the, to kind of like the cliffs around here, looking out over the ocean. And he sees men throughout history come walking on the sands be- below him. And he sees the Finneys and the Wigglesworth and the Polycarps and the Irenaeuses. And, and he, he, sees, he sees all these men come along through history. And at some point, they stop, they bend down, they put their hands into the sand, they feel around, and they come up with nothing. They wipe their hands off and walk on, just shaking their, hand, their head and walk on. The, the angel tells Bob, go down, and, go down to the sand and put your hands in the sand. And so Bob went down and he walked along and he stopped and he says, now put your hands in the sand. And he puts his hands in the sand and he feels something. And he says, Bob, these are the sands of time. Pull what you feel up. So he wipes it off and he pulls this box up and... And the angel says, open it. So he opens it. And he sees all these little tiny pieces of paper in this box. And he pulls up the top one and there's another layer underneath it. Pulls it up, there's another layer underneath it. And the angel says, do you know what these are? And Bob says, no, I, I don't. And he says, these are the draft notices for the great army of God. And they are being sent out now. And he said, the angel said, for God has saved the best of the bloodline of every, every person till now. 
You are the best of your bloodline. And the enemy has convinced you, many of you, you are the worst of your bloodline. But God said that you are the best. And if you don't think so, watch what I do with you. This incredible God sees into eternity and says to you, Lewis, there's nobody in your bloodline who could do it better than you right now. You're here right now because nobody can do it better. Every single one, I could point to anyone in this room and say the same thing about you. There's nobody who could do it better. But you're almost to the point of not believing it because you have been deprogrammed by the evil one and you don't know it. You're thinking, well, if I think, I'm, if I, think I can do anything, then I'm proud and God hates the proud and he will resist me. And no, it's faith. God has created me for a purpose and I will achieve that purpose. This is the God we serve. He's not up and going, heaven going, how dare you think that you could do that? I mean, if he had a chance to do it, Peter was a prime example. You know, let me, if it's you, Lord, let me walk on the water. Oh, he, Lord said, are you kidding, Peter? You're going to deny me in about 20 days. Are you kidding, Peter? I, I, I'm just letting you know, I'm God, you're not. Forget it. Well, what did God do? He didn't rebuke him. He said, come. You see, many of you have that same thing. God is saying, come. But you don't dare to believe it. And we have a magnificent God who's up in heaven waiting for you. Not waiting for you to join Him. Waiting for you to take action. To do what He has said. This is the everlasting, I mean, the eternal God that gives us everlasting life. This is the God who birthed us into this time, into this place, so that His purpose can be unfolded. And so what does He do? He gives you dreams to help you reach your purpose. He gives you dreams to help others reach their purpose. So you tell them what you dream. He gives you words of knowledge. He helps you to pray for them and heal them. Why? Because if they die from their illness, they can't reach their purpose. Yes, He loves you. Yes, it's part of His judicial system. Yes, it's part of Him showing His greatness. Yes, it's part of Him showing His immutability and His, and his omnipresence and His omniscience and His omnipotence. Yes, it's part of all that. He's displaying all of that. But it's to help you have faith in Him so you can accomplish what He put you here to accomplish. He doesn't want you not to succeed. He wants you to succeed. So He gives you dreams that don't do this, that won't help you. Do this, that will help you. And it could be some things like... John Paul, you're impatient. Work on your patience. And he gives you a dream showing your impatience. Now, what what do we do? I'm not like that. (laughs) In the dream, I'm so impatient. But I'm not impatient. Guess it's, yes, you are. No, I'm really not. Get behind me, Satan. (laughs) So he shows you things that will keep you from getting to where he's called you. So that if you... With truth, by the Holy Spirit of truth, address them, putting aside your ego. You go, oh, I get this now. I'm impatient in ways I don't know. Oh God, help me to know those ways. Remove those things from me. Tell me so that I might address them. Say, John Paul, this is what I'm talking about. You go, oh, I was impatient there. That's what God does for us. 
God is not up there resisting us. He's up there longing to help us. There is this, this whole world. He is in the past. He is in the present. He is in the future. And He's helping you do what He wants you to do. So you're great, 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 great. Whatever many greats there are left. They can do what they're called to do because you did what you were called to do. Their purpose hinges on your purpose. There is an interrelatedness between generations. Help them. At the same time, glorify God in doing what He put you here to do. If we all do that, then we reach our purpose. Well, I'm running out of way past time. If you'll bear with me, we'll, we'll, keep, we'll rush through the next three keys. There's a coexisting spiritual world out there. We talked a little bit about that earlier. Talked about the th- things of heaven, all the things that created the heavenly beings and so on. That coexisting spiritual world is there. When, Moses, I'm sorry, when Elijah, uh, Elisha was alive and he had this unnamed servant. We don't know who the servant was. But the servant walks outside the house and sees the armies of Syria on the hills surrounding Dothan, where they, where they were living. And the servant looks out and sees the Syrian army. He knows that they've come to kill him and his master, and he knows this is not going to be a good day. And so he goes back into the house. He gets his master. Master, master, what are we going to do? The armies of Syria are here. And, the, and his master says, do not fear. Very key. Do not fear. Why? Because what you fear empowers the thing you fear. Do not fear. What you focus on, you make room for in your life, and what you fear, you empower. Faith and fear are the same thing. What do you mean? I mean this. Fear is the belief that something bad is going to happen. Faith is the belief that something good is going to happen. They are both the belief that something that is not yet will be. And it's wrong tree. Yeah, it's wrong tree thinking. Fear is off of that tree, knowledge. Faith is off of that tree, spirit. They're both the same thing. The belief that something that is not yet will happen. Do not fear. How many times in Scripture do you see that phrase given to the children of Israel? Do not fear. Do not be afraid. Even when Jesus is walking on the water, do not fear. It is I. Or literally, in the Greek, it literally means do not fear. I am. The same thing that he said to Moses, he said to his disciples in that boat. I am. Do not fear. Well, so what happens? Elijah puts his hand on the servant, prays for God to open his eyes. God opens his eyes. He sees that the armies of God are greater in number than the armies of Syria. Now, the question has to be asked, how did they get there? When did they get there? Well, if they're the armies of God, then you can pretty safely assume they got there because God said, go there. At the same time, you can also say this. 
There are spiritual elements that are present whether we see them or not. There is a coexisting spiritual arena. And that coexisting spiritual arena is here to help you, to help me, to help us, so that we can fulfill our purpose. Because if we die, our purpose gets cut off. It is here to help us do that. So what is what is happens? Elisha prays, and the armies of Syria are smitten with blindness. Who smote them? The armies of God smote the armies of Syria with blindness. And you know what? The Syrians never saw the army of God. All they knew is, I'm suddenly blind. That does not mean that the armies of God weren't there. It just simply means they didn't see them. And you know what? Just because you can't see them doesn't mean they're not here today in this room ready to do something that will make a change in your life to help you reach the purpose for which you were created. You are here today by divine appointment of God. Not to hear John Paul Jackson, but to have the Spirit of God change you in a way that will propel you to His purpose. Your destiny. He's waiting for you. So we have this, this, all this, this armies of God and, and everything. And our, our response should never be, oh no, earthly thinking. Armies of Syria are here. Our response should be, heavenly thinking, God's here. His armies are here. His, his created beings are here. Woe unto you, physical earth. But that takes faith. And it doesn't happen overnight. And I'm not saying it will happen in you overnight. But it, the seed is being planted so it can grow and happen to you. So from this and other spiritual events, we know that the eternal realm is superior to the temporal realm. Temporal being physical. It, and we know that it wasn't the armies of Syria who smote the army of God. It was the army of God, eternal realm, that smote the armies of Syria, temporal realm. So the eternal is always superior to the temporal. In that, in that coexisting spiritual realm, there are angels. Angels boast of God and celebrate His presence. They excel in strength. Psalms 103 is basically where all this is. They cause things to happen. They arrange for things to happen. And they serve only at God's command, meaning hearken or shma. Shma. Listen. They shma. They listen to God. They do not listen to you. You cannot tell Gabriel what to do. Last guy that tried that couldn't speak for nine months. <laughs> then there are heavenly hosts. And these heavenly hosts, they minister and they wait and serve God. Our angels and hosts are not the same. Angels have a responsibility, Psalms 103, 20, and those verses. And hosts have a responsibility, Psalms 103, verse 21, and the next couple of verses. So they're not the same entity. They minister, they wait, they serve God, they seek to please God. They fulfill the pleasure of God, different than angels. Different purposes than angels. And then in this coexisting spiritual realm, there are watchers. We don't know exactly what watchers are, but we know they watch. <laughs> very clear, very simple, not trying to be oversimplistic, but sometimes we make things so complicated we can't understand it. They watch. 
They observe. They report back on what they see. They judge and they sentence and they make unchangeable decrees. So what they say happens, period. God backs them up. In this coexisting spiritual arena, there are also seraphim. They have six wings. They surround the throne of God. Isaiah chapter 6. They attend to God's throne. They continually cry, holy, holy, holy. And this cry is so loud that it literally shakes the doorposts of heaven. And then the, uh, and they have six wings, as I said. Then there are cherubim. They have four wings. Not the same. Four wings. They, guard, they guarded the Garden of Eden when man was cast out. They stand on each side of the throne, 1 Samuel 4.4. 4. They have four wings, Ezekiel 1.6. So he gives these heavenly agents to us to help us reach our purpose. Then he also gives gifts. That, that Greek for the word gifts is the Greek word didomi. And it means, one of the means is to smite your enemy in the face. It's like, bam! Gifts. Gifts of healing. Destroy the work of the evil one. Smiting him in the face. Deliverance. Smiting him in the face. Repentance from dead works. Smite him in the face. Baptisms. Smite him in the face. All these things destroy the work of the evil one. And we are given gifts to destroy his work so that he can't hinder us from doing our purpose. But we don't make use of them. We don't make use of them. We're like a prize fighter who steps into the ring with absolute prize fighting capability and we stand there and wait for God to do something. In the meanwhile, God, uh, the, meanwhile the enemy is pummeling us. Bam, 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 bam. We're getting punched and all we have to do is lift our glove and go, bam. But we don't. Why? Because God quit doing that. You don't have gloves on. You could get hurt. You could break your hand if you hit him. Don't cast that demon out. He might come into you. Better him than you. Get a... So we pray for the sick. We pray, pray for the lame. We pray for the blind. We pray for the deaf, the demonized, the deformed. All those who died prematurely because we want to destroy the work of the evil one. But then sometimes we say, well, I'm too tired to destroy evil today. <laughs> you know, I, I don't have a phone booth to change into my Superman suit. You know, it's like, you have to put on this stuff? No. He lives in you. He lives in you. It is instantaneous empowerment. It's not like you have to get empowered. You are empowered. You just have to believe it. He is here to help you. He gives us dreams and visions and trances. He transports us, translates us. He gives us visitations to help us reach the purpose for which we were created. Therefore, we can think in heavenly terms, seeking first the kingdom of God and His righteousness. And if we do, all these things will be added unto us. All these things will be added Seek first His kingdom and His righteousness. That's character. It's integrity. It's truthfulness. It's love. 
And the result is the fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. I know so many people who are gifted and claim to be spiritual, but all they are is gifted. Because they fall into the category of, didn't we heal in your name, cast out demons in your name, prophesy in your name, but we never knew him. God is wanting to take every, all five ministries in Ephesians 4, all the nine gifts of the Holy Spirit in 1 Corinthians 12 and 14, all those gifts mentioned in Romans 12, some call them the motivational gifts. He's wanting to take them to a higher level. And that higher level is knowing God, being empowered by God, intimate with God, to destroy the work of the evil one and glorify Him because we know Him. He's shown us His ways and now we know Him. Too many gifted people don't know Him. I don't know what the prophetic voices are saying today who said Giuliani will be our next president. Obviously, that's not happening. I mean, he dropped out of the race. It's pretty hard for that to happen now. We have to know God. And in knowing Him, He will tell us all truth. And He will not give us a stone when we ask for bread. This is an incredible God we serve. We sell Him far short. And we think that we cannot come to know Him, and yet He is longing for us to walk into that intimacy. To be fruitful. To be reproductive. To be indwelt by Him. By His Spirit. Nothing will be impossible when we really believe that. It doesn't happen overnight. It takes time. We'll begin talking about the third key tonight. Because your stomachs are growling. And I've learned this. Even Jesus said, you better feed them. <laughs> okay, Gary. All right, so we're going to take a lunch break till 2 o'clock. Uh, so come back and then we'll have Ryan Hall uh, do worship then and maybe even the First Nations band a little bit later. So 2 o'clock. If you have parked in that parking lot right next door, be sure you go out there and pay the uh, uh, attendant. Okay? So see you at 2 o'clock. Oh, uh, everything needs to grow out with you. We don't want to uh, uh, be responsible for the different things here. No. Also, if you, uh, we're going to be doing a 101 class. So if you uh, are interested in taking the 101 class, then uh, in the uh, entrance of there, there's a place to sign up. So sign up.
I, I just want to remind you guys, though, if you get something to eat, there's lots of different places around. We have a list of them around. But no food or drinks inside here, okay? So do whatever you need and no food or drinks inside here. Thanks.